Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. It's another glorious day with not a cloud in the sky here in Tenerife. It's 28 degrees and I've been riding so much this week. It really is just every day riding heaven here. This past week, Monica and I actually rode up to the highest point on El Teide, the volcano at the centre of Tenerife. And the whole return trip, including a few stop-offs and things like that, took about seven hours. But it's one of the finest, the absolute finest riding roads I've ever been on. The ride up to Mount Teide in Tenerife. Because you can ride. Here's the reason why it's the best riding road I've ever been on. And here's what I think, actually, makes a brilliant riding road. First of all, you need good quality road surface. Secondly, stunning scenery is a huge bonus. The right type of bends are also important. For example, although it sounds cool and dramatic, hairpin, hairpin bends actually mean that very often you're going at about 15 or 20 miles an hour. The best kind of bends are those bends where you can hit it at about 30 or 40 miles an hour, just gentle bends back and forth. And the ride up to Altele has everything. It's got the hairpin bends, but it's also got those beautiful, just flowing bends where you don't need to go much below 40 miles an hour and you can really commit to it. And what's also important is, and this is something we don't get much of in Britain. Here's a bit of what we don't have in Britain. We don't have very, very, very long stretches of stunning roads. For example, in the southeast of England, you're lucky if you get probably five or six really good bends in a row. You're lucky if you get maybe maybe 10 or 15 minutes of good riding uninterrupted. But here in Tenerife, this ride up to El Tadio and back down the other side again, it can be three hours. Three hours of stunning, mind-blowing, uninterrupted riding where you are concentrating 100% on every one of the next bends. It's just absolutely superb. And I move on. Okay, here we go. Listen to this. I had uh, a very kind, uh, very kind person send me in this story from the UK. And I, I love stuff like this. It's just brilliant. Honda motorbike bought in 1981 that has zero miles on the clock because it was confiscated by its teenage owner's father and locked in a garden goes up for sale for auction for £2,000. Basically, this guy bought as about a 17 year old bought a honda cb 100 n when he was about 17 years old bought it brought it back to the family house to his parents house and his dad was a very very strict soldier someone high up in the army and he completely banned it took it away from his son and locked it in the shed father since died and now that son is actually going back through the house, back through the, the shed. And he just, he found his old motorbike still locked up in the same garden shed. It's just incredible. It's got no miles on the clock. Well, it's got 0.4 miles on the clock. Beautiful blue old Honda CB100, obviously 100cc engine. Never been ridden. I tell you what, I'm a little bit surprised. Obviously, it's nice condition. I'm a bit surprised at how much surface rust it does have it's like the exhaust has a lot of those kind of pit marks that you get surface rust obviously it will, will all sort itself out but surface rust 
covering most of the shiny bits on the bike, but still. What a story, and 2,000 pounds, it's not much. It's not much at all for such a special bike. One thing that's really popular from what I've seen so far in Tenerife are these little monkey bikes. I've seen a couple of the Honda monkey bikes, but one type of bike that is really popular is the Benelli TNT 125. Now, I've never seen these in the UK, but I've had a few UK listeners contact me and say, Freddie, they are in the UK. I've got one and I hugely rate them. So a few owners have said how how much, how highly they rate these bikes. And one of them said that they're superb bikes and his gets 100 miles to the gallon. Uh, and I'm quoting here, as with the Benelli, uh, as with Benelli bikes, they're Italian designed and you just can't go wrong. A hundred miles to the gallon. So that got me thinking because I was standing next to one of these bikes about a week ago, one of these Benelli's. And I, I just thought that is a superb mo- mode of transport, a real genuine viable mode of transport. It's small, it's light, it's got a very low seat height. It's got a 125cc engine, which is all you need for city commuting. And being so tiny and so light, it's completely unintimidating. You can whiz through traffic, rip through traffic. If you get in a funny spot, you can lift it up onto the curb. You can manhandle it. You're never too worried about it. It's not the exact type of style bike that I'd usually go for, but I... I actually really see the appeal of these. They're actually quite cool bikes, even though they're not what I'd usually go for. I think, I think they're only about 2,300 pounds brand new, which is absolutely nothing. I'm sure in finance you could get that for about 70 pounds a month brand new. But I found you something, autotrader.co.uk. I know I'm in Spain, but it's just my habit. I go to the UK sites. Benelli, TNT. 2018 model, 1,695 pounds. This one has 6,000 miles on the clock, excellent condition, just serviced, full service history, HPI clear, no outstanding finance, never been in an accident. I think that's a seriously good mode of transport. I would really, really consider one of those, and I do mean it. I like the Vespers for going around town, just purely from a style point of view. But, but, I genuinely see the appeal of this. And if this bike was downstairs in my parking space in Tenerife, and my Bonneville was next to it, and I just wanted to pop off to the shops, very casual, I I don't know, I'm 50-50 what I'd take. You know, for these small little city rides, God, I almost don't want to admit it, I may actually take I may actually take that Benelli. In fact, I've just noticed this is at John Riley Motorcycles, which, complete coincidence, happened to be two miles away from my old apartment in southeast London. Wow, I was literally there. I was there three weeks ago getting my bike serviced. I didn't even put a geographical search. Okay, let's move on, but I, I really recommend it. Actually, moving on, kind of. If you're looking to get into biking, or if you just want something that you're not going to stress out about for city riding, you're not going to worry too much if it gets stolen, yada, 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 or you're getting into biking, you want to learn the basics, gear changes, etc., etc. I don't know if there'd be many, too many better bikes than that Benelli Tornado. Have a look at that. I think that's a really, really good option. Okay, this is interesting because I've got a new app so I can carry on 
reading the the British motorcycle magazines while I'm in Tenerife and I've been reading away catching up with all of the issues this is quite interesting from Ride Magazine Britain's favorite retros okay so for the best adventure classic the Moto Guzzi V85 TT I've been saying this for a while I really, really like the look of this V85. It's a beautiful, unique-looking bike, and I think Moto Guzzi have done a great job. I also think they've they put it perfectly in the market. They haven't gone too crazy with gigantic amounts of power and price and this and that. It's eleven thousand two hundred pounds, seventy-five horsepower, and two hundred and thirty kilos. I think that's a little bit of a sweet spot there for one of the adventure bikes. Very good-looking bike. Best value retro motorcycle. Uh, could it be anything else? The Royal Enfield Interceptor. Best all-rounder. The Kawasaki Z900RS. I said that a few podcasts ago. I think that's a really good-looking bike. I've never ridden that in my life, but at least on paper, it ticks every box. And you know with Japanese bikes, you're going to get absolute quality and absolute reliability. And here's another bike that I recommended a few podcasts ago. The best oddball choice. The best oddball choice in the UK for retro motorcycles, the Yamaha MT-01. Obviously, that's secondhand. It's got a gigantic... I think it's about a 1700cc engine, something mind-blowing like that. Get them for about 7 to 8k, 265 kilos. Yeah, it's it's. I forget how, how incredible those are. My old old friend of mine had one of those, and he said it's the worst mistake he ever made selling it because they're going up going up in value. But there we go. That is what the Brits are liking at the moment with the modern classics. Now I'm in Tenerife, I can breathe a sigh of relief. I often go by the saying, ignorance is bliss, because when we came over to Tenerife, we had the Fiat, the trailer, and the Bonneville on top. And I I just saw an article in a British motorbike magazine where someone asked the magazine, look, I want to ride my motorcycle. Oh, sorry, I want to drive my car with my trailer attached and my motorcycle on the trailer. I want to ride it into France. Is that okay now we've left the EU? And I wouldn't even have considered that. Of course it's okay. I mean, how could it not be okay? You know, why could you not ride your, drive your car with your motorcycle attached to a trailer into the EU? Why would you worry at all? Why do you need any paperwork? But the response from a lawyer on this magazine, from this magazine, said that now, if you want to drive a car, tow a trailer with things on the back of it, including a motorcycle, technically speaking, you're going to need paperwork. And one of the forms that you're going to need costs £350. And the reason for this is because technically you're bringing in something to the country. You're bringing something into France uh, that you need to be declaring to the the French authorities. It's no longer as simple as just driving a car and putting stuff on the back of a trailer. Specific things you now need to declare if you enter those countries. If I would have known that before I headed off to Tenerife, I would have been freaking out, honestly, that any car behind me in France could have been a policeman that's wanting to stop me or find me or, or turn me back because apparently there have been stories about the 
French police turning people back. So interesting. And I move on to Russia. Something I'd never heard of. The Ural motorcycle. Because I walked past this in Tenerife and I had to share a little Insta story. I said, who, who the hell knows what this is? A, a Ural. I did a little poll. Who knows? Who's ever heard of a Ural? 65% of people said yes, they had. So I was immediately embarrassed at my lack of knowledge. But relatively speaking, we do not get them in the UK. I know some people have imported them over, but just to give you an idea and back myself up here, I went on to Autotrader to look for used Ural motorcycles, not one on Autotrader. In fact, so few, it doesn't even list Ural as a brand to search for on Autotrader. So that's me backing myself up. I'm still a bit embarrassed I didn't know about it, but basically, basically, Ural motorcycles are off-road specific motorcycles built with a sidecar. They're Russian, they're kind of ex, they're World War II BMWs that I think Germany gave to, gave to Russia, gave the rights to Russia. So it's effectively a really old World War II-ish BMW engine, ridiculously rugged motorcycle with a sidecar attached. And I had no idea no idea the cult following that these things have. People absolutely love them. Famous owners include Brad Pitt, for example. They are as utilitarian as you can possibly get. And if you think, think Lada cars and the motorcycle equivalent of Lada, and you've got it absolutely spot on. But here's what I found really interesting. And of course, I, I always keep things confidential. I won't say your name. I found interesting Russians thoughts on Urals now because Urals are simple utilitarian transport they are the larders of the motorcycle world however they're now relatively speaking ex they're popular in North America I had so many USA and Canadian bikers telling me oh yeah um, there are a few in the dealership near us or yeah i own one i've had one yada 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 north america they're genuinely quite popular they've got a good following there but uk quite close to zero um and there are a few russians who think this you know this is you know it's, it's lost their way euro should be cheap and affordable that's what it is euro is cheap affordable transport but now it's gone off kind of into the stratosphere with the, the cost of them. For example, uh, a biker in the USA sent me over a, a pick, sent me over a link for a Ural for sale in the UK, brand new, 2022, $24,000. $24,000 for the most basic motorcycle you can imagine. That is a mind-blowing, gigantically, gigantic amount of money. You can almost buy two... I don't know, you could buy two basic cars for the price of what is effectively a World War II engined utilitarian bike. And listen to this, Russian biker messaged me. Okay, this is very interesting. Okay, here we go. Hello, I had a Ural in the past. Interesting bike that gives you emotions, especially with the sidecar. They say there are always good people on a Ural. Not on, in. Ural assembling plant is in Russia, but 
it's enormously expensive here comparing with other bikes. People in Russia used to think that Ural is supposed to be something cheap, unreliable and good for farm commuting with a dog in a sidecar. But now it costs the same as an Africa twin. So as a result, only 10 to 20 new Urals are cruising around in Russia right now. And thousands of rusty Soviet Urals are still on the roads in small villages far away from big cities. If you get a chance, make a Ural test ride and review it. Uh, 100% you will have fun. Best regards from Russia. That's just, that's an incredibly, incredibly interesting insight. Okay, we know they're hugely expensive in the USA. We know that there aren't any for sale in the UK right now. But I know the Germans are gigantic automotive fans. And I know that not being a million miles from Russia and also being German-engined, there will be some good bargains in Germany. So what did I do? I went on to theparking-motorcycle.eu. That's a website where you can find vehicles in Germany. And here's what I found. Okay, you can get, for example, a 2021 Ural in Germany for $16,800, uh, 16, euros. But listen to this, you can get a second-hand Ural with 33,000 kilometers, 650cc engine. Let me just give you all the information I can at this point. Yeah, oh, look, listen to this. This is interesting. It's it's in someone's shed. I can see one picture of it. Year unknown, color unknown. Well, I can see it's black. Mileage it's got, engine size unknown. Well, if it's a Euro 650, I guess it's 650. The price in Germany, in Nord, Nordrhein-Westfalen, 2,700 euros. It looks as you would hope an old Ural to look. A little bit rusty, a bit battered, but in perfectly usable condition with its sidecar and the spare tire attached to the sidecar. That's 2,700 euros. Let me just see if I can give you another one, for example. Lots of the new ones here. The new one's about 16,000 euros. So any of my American listeners, that's kind of, that's where you are with it. You can do the translation in costs, but you're looking about 16,000 euros if you buy from Germany. I'll tell you what, here we go. Just one more. I've got to tell you about this one. This is, this is a Ural tourist. Here we go. I've got more info on this. 2000 model. So 21 years old, 7,000 kilometers on the clock in Germany, a town called Hessen. And... I've got pictures of it. This is in very, very nice condition, actually. Really very nice condition. It looks, I would class this as excellent condition. Black and white paintwork. It looks quite flawless. And the price for this one, oh, here we go. I've got five picks. It's just come up now. Okay, first one looks very good. Oh, this one looks, you wouldn't need to do anything to this one at all absolutely nothing needed 4500 euros for what is a very very nice 650 cc euro i think it's private seller yeah it is it's a private seller this one go to germany anyone i know the americans are fans of these go to germany and pick up a euro this is a stunning condition one for 4500 euros what's that in dollars this is wildly off the top of my head because i don't have internet in the room i'm in can't be 
it can't be much more than three thousand seven hundred US dollars for a beautiful condition one. Superb, superb value. Okay, I'll move on. Hopefully that's some food for thought because I think they're a really good looking bike. And also, any older bikers who no longer feel comfortable riding a two-wheeler, there's a brilliant alternative. Get on a Ural, a three-wheeler. Brilliant. Okay, I did a poll. Ducati Reliability. Now let's get this poll up. I did a poll on Instagram because I was really curious how viable are Ducatis as a used proposition? Okay, let me see if I can find this poll. I did a, a few screenshots. Right. Sorry, bear with me. Here we go. Got it. Okay. My aim to find out if I should ever consider a used Ducati. I asked two questions. I had 500 responses. Can I guarantee that every single response was from a Ducati owner? No, but I'm hoping that with 500 responses, it may have balanced itself out. So here we go. Would you describe your Ducati as reliable? 53% of people said yes. 53% of Ducati owners said they would describe it as reliable. Next question. Would, and now I tell you what, before I do the next question, let me just go through this a bit. Would you describe your Ducati as reliable? 53% of people said yes, they would. So very, very close. And I also asked for some owners to give me a bit of feedback. I'm just quoting here and I'm going to just rush a few off here. So listen to this. Would you describe it as reliable? And this is what people actually messaged me to write. Rewarding slash frustrating. I own a 2015 Ducati Scrambler Classic here in the USA. It's hard to find mechanics for the bike. Been good so far. Also, lots of interest in the Scrambler. Another says, beautiful but awfully reliable bikes. Another says, meh, expensive and constant faults. Handles like a go-kart when working though. Another says, expensive. Another, I love it, but Ducati is not a choice for everyone. It requires passion and a good service. Another, says rewarding. Another, expensive but fun. Another, beautiful. Another, love, love, love. Another, outstanding, very pleased with it. Another, do not even think about changing your bonnie for a Ducati. Cheers from Argentina. Another, nothing but great service from Ducati. I had a 2015 Diavel and loved the bike. Big regret selling her. Uh, I no longer own a Ducati, loved the bike, but the aftercare was atrocious. And let me do two more. I feel Ducati has a certain prestige about it, uh, and it's been more reliable than I thought. Uh, okay, let me do one more. Uh, I've done it in order so far, but I just want to see if there's any other especially interesting ones. My monster was my first bike and feels like a first love that always has a special place. Yeah, it, it's it's mixed. A lot of people love it, but yeah, there are a good a good chunk of people there saying that uh, you know it's expensive and it's not the most reliable thing on the road. And I move on. The second question, finally, would you buy another Ducati? Fifty-two percent of people said yes. See, I don't think that's incredibly positive for Ducati. Only half of the owners that I surveyed, only half of the owners said they would actually go and buy another Ducati. 
Um, so in response to that, I've got, because I did ask a few people, I asked one more question and I only wanted to reply to this. I didn't do a poll. I just said, let me know your thoughts. I asked people, how much does it cost you to maintain your Ducati? Here we go. One said 180 pounds, another $300, another $600. Listen to this one. It's not too bad, but the Desmo service with the belt replacement was pricey at 1,250 Australian dollars. Another Australian said 1,000 Australian dollars. Um, another said, if it's simply checking around, it's 150. If you need the Desmo service, it's 800 euros. Someone here said it's, uh, I paid 4,000 pounds sterling in servicing for a Panigale V4S. 4,000 pounds sterling to service a Panigale. Um, scheduled service is 350 euros a year. Someone else said, buco dollar, lots of dollar. So, New Zealander here, 3,600 New Zealand dollars. Another person said, I do it myself. So just oil servicing filters, 100 pounds so far. Um, I had my monster for five years and I think I spent money on tires and oil only. Someone else said 500. Another person said very costly service. Let me see if I, I want to get some positives just to balance this out. Uh, it's only a year old, so I can't really tell. Service span, ah, service span on mine was almost double my other bikes. Ooh, no, so the service on mine was almost double my other bikes. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, the service span on mine was almost double my other bikes, so price-wise it was okay. Uh, I do the maintenance myself, so it's okay, 250 a year. On average, 600 pounds a year servicing. I've just, and another one said, I've just had some quotes ranging from 400 to 800 pounds for the annual service, including timing belts. Uh, that's on the expensive side. No doubts about that at all. That's definitely on the expensive side. Okay, here we go. Let me just, so I've been too engrossed and I lost where I am. Here we go, okay. Final couple of things I wanted to mention because I found, I found a bit of, in fact, I tell you what, so I don't go too far over. I have found my bike of the week and that is a humble bike that's also an everyday bike and actually you'd even go as far as to say it's just your absolute basic commuter bike and that is a Honda. It's just... I don't know, I do like these bikes. It's the same reason I like basic cars. This is a Honda CB500. Okay, there's nothing special about these bikes, let's be completely honest, but these are the kinds of bikes, these exact bikes are the bikes that become the future classics because people have an emotional attachment to these. It's the exact same reason why the, the old Mini or the Fiat Cinquecento or the Vauxhall Novas or Opel Corsas for the Europeans. That's why these bikes and these cars become just, they have a huge following once they get to a certain age. And I would suggest that that age is probably from about 30 years old plus. Once a vehicle gets to 30 years old plus, they get into that real classic stage. And the Honda CB500 is just that. And I have found a bike that's such a superb deal. I would I would have bought this bike uh, 
if I'd have been in the market for a bike when I got my Suzuki Bandit. There's no question at all I'd have taken this over my Suzuki Bandit. So what have we got? On autotrader.co.uk, right now, we have a 1997 Honda CB500, 499cc. It's got 79,000 miles on the clock. So what I always say, just go for those big mileage bikes, you get a bargain. 79k on the clock, it's a Honda, going forever. 825 pounds. Okay, I'm reading here. 79,000 miles, don't be put off by the mileage. These engines are good for at least 150,000 miles. Run sweet, recent new tires, engine oil and filter, fork seals and oil, brake pads front and rear, small dink in the pet petrol tank. Next MOT due in September 2022. This will be snapped up. If there is anyone, anyone in the UK looking for a new motorbike right now and you've got a budget of a thousand or less, you will not find a better deal than this Honda CB500. It's a smart looking bike. It's silver paintwork. I think these would actually cafe racer extremely well if you want to do something to it, but it's got its own charm the way it is. It's got the single circular headlamp. It's a very smart looking bike. Go and grab that bike right now because it will not be available for much longer. Anyone looking for a bike now, it's Oldbury. I think that's somewhere. Midlands or pushing up north somewhere, but go and grab it, get onto Auto Trader now, and that is a perfect place to finish. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Please do, well, please do send in any interesting stories if you have any. I always am delighted to read any of them, and I will speak to you next week.